feeling we're going to hear some very interesting music from today's guest. And you would be right, Rod. Good. Um, this is from a composer who just won a Grammy Award, right? I, I believe this is our first podcast featuring a Grammy Award winning composer. Yes, indeed. This will be good. everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn and be motivated by their life's experiences. And, and we I, are too, right? Yes, we are. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively with their own passions. Angie, yep. tell us who our guest is today. Our guest today is Nadim Majdalani. He's a Grammy-winning musician and lead composer at Red Tusk Records. He is a songwriter and a music director, plus he is also a lecturer. Very talented guy. Yes. And you know what? And I might add that he can play many different instruments. Mm-hmm. And that is no easy accomplishment. No, See, it's I can not. barely play one. <laughs> but now it's time for me to ask you to share your quote, and I suspect it's going to relate to our topic today. Yes, it will. Um, and here's our quote for today. Music should strike fire from the heart of a man and bring tears from the eyes of a woman. And that is by Ludwig von Beethoven. Well, I see you went right to the top when it comes <laughs> to music yeah. and composers by, yes. qu by quoting Beethoven. Yes. You know what? I can hear Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the second movement in my head right now. I'm going to probably start whistling it. Okay. But, you know, I would love to sing in any one of his choral masterpieces. That would be so exciting. Oh, yeah, that would. And, and I would, you know what? Huh. I would be in the front row listening. Oh, that's so nice. To the whole entire choir. <laughs> yeah, you would. I don't think you'd hear me though, but you'd hear, you'd see the joy in my face yeah. anyway. Oh, the joy! Oh, the joy! I would be joyful. But now it's time to move on and um, go to our interview. And he's a contemporary composer that's very talented in so many disciplines when it comes to the creation of music. And so let's bring on our guest, Nadim Majdalani. Nadim, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. And you know what? Congratulations on your Grammy win. And we're really looking forward to our conversation today. Yes. Hi, Nadim. I might add you are a composer, conductor, and songwriter, and you are definitely living the creative life. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a really pleasure to, to speak with you. Oh, well, thanks. And before we get started, we always ask everyone what they had for breakfast. So what did you have this morning, Nadim? Oh, I'm an unusual breakfast eater. So I had a uh, a piece of chocolate. I don't know if we're allowed to say brand names, but uh, it was chocolate. <laughs> we just want to know what to buy. Yeah, really. And uh, 
I made myself a, a sandwich with a salami, prosciutto, egg, some mayo, and hot sauce. Because um, that's what I felt like having today for some reason. God, that sounds so good. That sounds good. And I think we should have that for lunch. <laughs> I know. Golly. <laughs> sometimes breakfast is lunch and then sometimes dinner is breakfast. So they switch around. Hey, why not? <laughs> well, why not? To get things started, why don't you share with us where you are originally from and where you grew up? I'm originally from Canada. I grew up in Ottawa, Ontario, which is the the nation's capital. It's also very cold, but it's also very beautiful, especially during the spring and summer. We have a wonderful festival called the Tulip Festival, which I enjoyed oh, uh, sure. growing up. And um, it's a, it's really it's really a beautiful, big little city. That's what I call. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice combination. Yeah, okay. Do you have yeah. a favorite memory from your childhood while you were there? Yes, I do. I, um, there's this place called the Museum of Nature and the Museum of Science and Technology. So they're two different museums, and I was always torn between the two, but I really loved going to the Museum of Nature. I loved seeing the dinosaurs as a kid. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, the Museum of Science and Technology I don't know if they have it anymore, but it was called the Crazy Kitchen. And it was a room and it was designed as an optical illusion. I guess that's that's what it would be. So when you walk, you could never walk straight. You would always fall over somehow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it was just based on the the optics and how your eyes view distance and, and how things were were placed. So it was really, it was called the Crazy Kitchen. I hope they still have it. I know they have one, at least they used to have one in Calico Ghost Town near Barstow. They oh, used really? to have one I like that. Know. That was kind of fun. But now you now live where? Los Angeles? I live in Los Angeles. Is that um, a career? Was that a career kind of thing? It was career. Yeah. I, I was, uh, after college, I um, I went to Berkeley College of Music and then I, I bounced around different cities, uh, New York City, Miami, Washington, D.C. I went back to school in Toronto. Then I was working on a lot of films. And this editor friend of mine said, you should just come out to L.A. Um, We're working on this movie I think you'd be perfect for. So I auditioned with the director and he loved it. They brought me out here. Uh, It was in 2010. And I was, I guess I, being on the East Coast, I was so used to the, the public transportation, you know, being, jumping on the subway and being somewhere in, in right, 10, 15 right. minutes. And here I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just walk. Maybe I'll stick my hand out, get a cab. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. It's too far to walk. <laughs> yes, that's uh, true. And then it's like, this is such a complicated place. I'll never live here. And, uh, 12 years later, I've, uh, family and I've, I've settled in my professional life as well. And it's, I don't see myself living anywhere else. <laughs> right, I love, right. I love Los Angeles. It's uh, it's my home now. So. so what did you do for the movie that you were just talking about? It's a short film. It was called Hopeless. And I, co- I was the composer on it. And um, it was a great short film and uh, a really good learning and stepping stone in the film composition world. But and also the the whole social dynamic of the business of the entertainment industry and, mm-hmm. you know, communicating with people and understanding 
you know, um, how director, what directors want working within that element, editors and, and directors and, you know, scripts and all that stuff. And, and really having your two hands in everything. And, and I think that you, people need to come out here mm-hmm. to do that. There's only so much I think you can do, you know, through correspondence. If you're a composer and living in New York and working on a film in LA, but if it's your first kind of go ahead, you really, I think that the, the personal touch and the, the actual communicating and sitting down with someone, you know, you get the energy and you get the vibe and kind of a better understanding of the picture you're scoring. Well, you know what? Everybody in your industry and all ancillary industries sooner or later end up in L.A. I mean, that's just the way it works. Well, that way you can collaborate easier than, like you said, through correspondence or online. It's difficult. I mean, if you're just going into that, you know, I think we, we've been lucky in the past before everything is, you know, virtual. Now, you know, we have that, we have the ability to do things virtually, but there's something about the human energy and the connection of being in the room with someone and right. like, oh, I, I get this now. I, I get it, you know. Right, right. I get, I get your writing. I understand your, you know, your direction a little bit better. You know, that makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Was that hard all of a sudden shifting from being in Canada and then coming out here and then you're dealing with people in the movie industry? I mean, that seems like a really big change to your life. There are very big changes. I guess <laughs> there's a little, a little part of me that was scared. I'll say that, but I want to say it was like a 5%. I'm scared to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, but, it's the unknown. Um, it's the, totally the, the unknown. Yeah. You wouldn't know what you're right. getting yourself right. into. But I've and, always, I've always been the, a bit of a, 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 maybe too much of a risk taker where, you know, the jump first and then look second kind of uh, <laughs> person. <laughs> I remember since before GPS on your phone and, you know, days and stuff. I was living in Europe for a bit. I was living in Athens and I, uh, I just decided to walk and see where I would end up. No mm-hmm. map or anything. And I just, I for three hours walking in total wrong direction of where I should be going. Although there was no really wrong direction because I just decided to walk, but I ended up exploring the city so well. And I somehow I was, I memorized it and you know, I, I I was so good at just kind of getting where I needed to go. And I, I did the same thing here in L.A., although I didn't walk. I, I had a scooter, so I scooted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I discovered like these uh, little hidden pockets like uh, Toluca Lake and Eagle Rock. And, you know, because I was in West Hollywood when I came here and I was like, oh, what if I just go all the way down? sunset where does it end or like i would pick like where if i go on ventura boulevard if i go all the way this way and i would see where does it you know where do these things end and then find little pockets that um i ended up falling in love with or like little mom and pop restaurants or cafes i'm like oh you gotta go to this place they have the best pastrami sandwich or you gotta go you know Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that would be like driving down Pico because that goes forever and, and ever and, and sunset, ever and yeah. Olympic. Yeah. yeah, all of those. Sunset, oh, yeah. Fun, sunset <laughs> actually does stop on the freeway. And, and, <laughs> I, know, I remember I was like, 
I think I ended up, I think it was like Bel Air. I ended up uh, mm-hmm. going uh, the following and it became Sunset Boulevard. I think it turned into Sunset Avenue or something like that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was like very, I was like, I don't see any. I don't see any restaurants or coffee <laughs> shops anymore. <laughs> well, we want to get to you as a well, all your many talents, uh, talents. But I want to start out with: it's been our understanding, based on our conversation and stuff that we've done to learn more about you, that you're very accomplished at playing many different instruments, and that seems to me, especially, that that's not an <laughs> yeah, easy thing to accomplish. Yeah, since you play zero instruments. Well, a saxophone. I, 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 would, I wouldn't put it as uh, fluent in all. I know, I know how to pick one up and, and play it. From a, a young age, I knew I wanted to compose and conduct. And it took a lot of people taking a chance on me to help me get to that professional level, but I had my own philosophy since I, I guess concert band in, in the high school, I would, you know, the, the teacher would be like, uh, we don't, we, we need a trombone player. We don't have one. Um, we had a, a small little high school. It was, you know, I think our graduating class was 85 people and they would say, you know, uh, we don't have an alto sax player. Nadim, can you learn this? And I would just, I would take it home and, and mess around for a week and then I would be the saxophone player of that, you know, that semester. Oh, we, we need a trombone player because we're going to do these ones. So I would take it home and do that. And it, it came pretty, pretty naturally, but you know, it, it, I did require practice. I did practice. And then I had this philosophy that if I was going to conduct people, like if I was going to tell a clarinetist, for example, how to, you know, do this on their instrument, you know, what, you know, what Mm -hmm, to do on their instrument, I would, I should have some decency and respect and know their instrument and not just demand from them to do it, you know, and say, oh, maybe if you try this, that might work. And, uh, you know, you you preface this answer with something that probably we would really like to know is what motivated you at, at a young age? What, what was the turning point in your life? Why did you decide to pursue this type of career to be a composer and a conductor and all that good stuff? I had a wonderful piano teacher named Colin Mack, and uh, he was very inspiring and kind of molded my mind to think music in a very unique way when we would learn a piece, he would play it for me. And then he would say, what do you imagine I'm playing? So then we would talk about, you know, things. And then I would go home and practice. And then I would get some little inspiration of that piece. And I would sit down and and try to write what I was doing. And I, I was eight or nine years old at the time. No, really? Huh? And I, I was, I didn't really know about notation, notation, but I would, look at the note I was playing and go, okay, that's D and that's F sharp and that's, you know, B. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, if I won, then I would draw these really obnoxious looking bubble notes and I'd be <laughs> like, okay, I want, these are the notes. And, and then I would take it to him and he goes, wow. Okay. Let me start to teach you composition and how to do it. And then, we, you know, we do theory classes and then, uh, 
I, I did the Royal Conservatory of Music program in Canada, and that was uh, really amazing. And then I started to put some poems and word ideas down and feelings. Uh, and then kind of by about 15 years old was when I finally decided I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be any of this. I, w- I want to do music. And this is exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, I knew at 15, very much at 15, uh, and it kind of coincided with the talent show I was in and, you know, just seeing how the music, I the it, it moved people and people were, you know, telling me how they liked, you know, what I was doing or how it made them feel. And there was some kind of connection that I had with people that I didn't even know. And I said, oh, I want to continue. And then it might it kind of like it followed me, but I made it more, tried to connect more. And I remember um, one of my, my best memories is I was conducting the program and this uh, gentleman came up to me and uh, he was, he had some, a tear and he was, he was hugging me and, uh, and he said that uh, the program that I put and the way, you know, the musicians, it moved him and it was really nice. Oh, yeah. And then I followed me to my, I, I used to do bar gigs in Los Angeles and I played uh, like a jazz lounge, Tom Waitsy style piano bar show here in LA mm-hmm. to make uh, some money as well. And that was uh, this guy uh, and him and his wife, they came up and they he gave me the biggest tip in my fishbowl jar I'd ever seen. And he was, uh, he was crying and he said that uh, his father who had passed away last month, he said, I, you know, it reminded him of his dad that his father used to play like that around the house and you know and he was really he was really moved by that and I you know it's just this feeling that I enjoy to kind of inspire people or to make them feel like comfort food would like I uh, like to be the mac and cheese of <laughs> of, of music <laughs> well, it's, it's obvious that you're doing what you were meant to do and you're quite accomplished at it it's it's exciting it's exciting to hear your story because i think most creative people at some point in their life all of a sudden they discover what it is that they really love to do but what i really appreciate that you said was the fact that you derived a great deal of enjoyment out of making other people feel good and i thought that was pretty cool yeah i think that's why also keeps me going you know it uh it's just, it's something, you know, it's, uh, in the ether, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's something magical that we can do with the air and, uh, and, um, anyone who's, you know, written a poem or, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, even the aroma of, of cooking in the kitchen, when you like walk into someone's house, you know, and you smell like that good home cooking it's like it's in the air there's always this magical thing that we can do with the air around us whether it's sound or smell or you know visual aesthetics and you know it's triggers something in our mind and the brain is always such a fascinating thing that like all these senses and memories that we can trigger and it just it brings people back to this sense of community and loving each Mm -hmm. other and 
you know, bringing you know, that that's human so element true. into humanity. That's yeah. so true. In fact, you said something that I, you know, it, it really kind of jogged my mind is you like the connectivity of it. And that's really, I guess that's really key in everything you do with your creativity and with um, your composing is if you're not connecting with people, then they're not going to be enjoying your music. And do you think that when you connect with them, it's it you hit the spiritual and you also hit, you know, the resonance with the music and things like that? With yeah, that yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it hits on so many, so many cylinders of the you know with mind, spirit, and and body, you know, and in all you know the mental and the physical and the mm-hmm. emotional, but mm-hmm. also you know there's um. There's a, not to bring the self element to it, but you know, you also, you have to do stuff for yourself. You know, people go, um, self, self care day or things like that. The same thing is with art, you know, it doesn't always necessarily, I mean, it doesn't have to connect with anyone. Sometimes you can connect with, uh, you know, your other persona almost, you know, Mm -hmm. you're worried about monetizing it. So yeah, it's yeah. better. It's sometimes true. it's much better to just create for yourself than trying to sit there and worry about if somebody's going to like it or buy sell. it. Yeah, and you know what? Sell. Who knows? Maybe someone does like it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Well, right? you know, more often than <laughs> you know, not, hopefully. the things we did for ourselves turn out to be things that other people enjoy. So, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, I think sometimes if you worry too much about what everyone else is going to think, you, I think as artists as well. A lot of the times, I think between college, my, you know, finishing college, you know, professional life and kind of you're in this weird limbo of, you know, how much of my, how much of me do I, you know, give away or, you know, some people are ardently like, I'm not ever going to sell out or things. It's not selling out or anything. I think it's just, you know, it's just enjoying, enjoying life. It's seeing where something Mm -hmm. takes you and. You know, making a friends along the way and uh, making enemies along the way too. You got to keep them closer than the friends, right? And right, they, right. Yeah. We, exactly. we like to we like to say people all too often play follow the follower, right? <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to do that if you can help it. If I you think can help if it. you can right. help it, right? It's uh, you know, you just kind of uh, there's so many so many cliches that we can dance around but you know i think i think we hit it when we saying you know just i think do what do what pleases you and i think it's just gonna you know echo out and those vibrations are gonna you know find find the ears of the right people or the eyes or the, mm-hmm. the nose or you know the it's all senses it's all senses you know and uh mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many wonderful things to we can be doing. You so. bet. Yeah. 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 Okay, say? so I wanted to ask you about your process. Like, is there a certain thing that you do to get yourself in the creative mood or, you know, ready to compose? Is there something uh, that you do to inspire yourself? Yeah, all the way to conducting. Yeah, all the way to conducting. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, well, it depends. Sometimes I would say, I would say more, I would say 90% of the time, and I, and I don't know how I got lucky with this, but 90% of the time, I'll just kind of get something, you know, it just kind of, okay, cool. just like, yeah. oh, 
wow, okay, I'm going to go write this down now. Or if I'm doing a song, I'm thinking of the, the, the mood or what I'm feeling, if it's a song for a film or yeah. an artist or, you know, even myself, just kind of, I capture that, but like the lyrics and the music kind of overlap sometimes. Or sometimes the lyrics will start coming out and then I'll, I'll pick up a guitar or, or sit at the piano and, and this, the chords will magically, I don't know, they magically happen. I can't, can't explain it. Right. <laughs> no, but then there's always, there's always revisions though. You know, there's always like a, a hundred, few hundred revisions that, <laughs> you know, I end up doing or, you know, kind of, uh, wheedling away. I, I wrote this song that is one of my favorites, I think that I've written. It's called Censor. And I wrote that, I wrote that I kind of the, the lyrics were coming out of me. It was kind of a, as a, a poem, uh, you know, just that I was telling to myself of this darker place I was in at the time. But then the music and the chords kind of manifested. They, they colored each other. Then I think like six years later, I ended up changing the chords. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, so, and, um, kind of drawing back to the, you know, when you're that, that 5% afraid, I had written all these songs years ago and just put them in a drawer because I was, um, I was afraid of being judged by different pockets of musicians. Like I really was passionate about classical composition and I felt that the classical musicians would not accept me as a classical composer with my pop songwriting. And then the film composers would, you know, I was too afraid of what everyone would think. So I hid things away and tried to change who I was to fit the different industry pockets. Mm -hmm. And I think that was very damaging to myself because I was never, I, I ended up trying to change who I was. Finally, I, you know, expletive, 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 just said, I'm just going to be me. And my wife said, you have a lot of good songs. You or she would say, who wrote that? I'm like me. I would sit and just play my songs at the piano and sing them. She goes, why is this song not? You should just do this song. Do this. And she's like, just so for a year, I think it was during lockdown. I just decided to just record and release all the songs I I had never done. And uh, and it was really it was received really well. So I was really happy about that. You know, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm hear. so glad, Nadine, that you shared that because yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there that try to create for an audience, and they forget the fact that creating for yourself, you know, getting that first note, that first line, the first word, the first brushstroke, whatever, is so important, and that has to come from within. Uh, I really like the way you express yourself there. That that's uh, our listeners are going to love that. I like. I it. think it's a, I, I owe a lot of that to my. My wife, she has been one of the most encouraging and supportive people in my life. And she's the one who said, you know, 
I married you. I like you. I like your personality. I like who you are. So stop trying to change for different people and just be you. And uh, so, I, so I did. Wise <laughs> advice. She is very wise. Yeah, that is so wise. good. You know, now that we've got all excited about your music, I think this would be a good time for us to listen to a little piece of it. I would love to share one of the pieces um, from the album, if you don't mind, uh, Phoenix of Atlantis. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the track, it's uh, movement number six and the Phoenix of Atlantis. And it also uh, got me a Kaleidoscope Composers Fellowship with that. And it, so it's one of my favorite compositions that I've written Okay, great. Um, and it's performed, the cello is performed by Isaiah Gage. And you'll hear bass flute and bass clarinet at oh, one that's point. Exciting. This, this is, is going to be exciting, man. The bass clarinet is performed by Ryan Glass. And the um, the bass flute is uh, performed by uh, Shannon Chanchola. Very good. Okay, so wonderful. So let, listen. let's listen to it. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, That's pretty that was spectacular. So Nadim. And the different the composition and the different musicians involved in that. It's wonderful. Just wonderful. Thank you. Thank yeah, you so we, much. We really so. appreciate you sharing that. And you know what? We understand that you we recently won a Grammy. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, yes. Yeah, we won a Grammy for this wonderful album 
that was uh, done by Danae Vlasse, and uh, she it's called Mythologies, mm-hmm. and she assembled the I think the finest team ever with musicians and singers and engineers and artists and everyone you could possibly think of under the sun. And we, it was um, for the album mythologies in the solo classical solo vocal category. And we were absolutely, it's one of those things where you're still kind of you're thinking about the moment and everything when it all happened. And it's just like, wow, we, we did that. And I was asked to play percussion on the album. Uh, now, I'm going to tell you this. It might offend some people that may not, but I, I'm not a percussionist. Mm-hmm. At least, ne- I mean, now I am. Uh, <laughs> now you're a professional. So, now you, uh, yeah, professional, you're a pro. <laughs> uh, Grammy-winning percussionist, I guess. He was, <laughs> I had never been asked to play percussion on an album and she approached me because of my ability. I don't know. It's water percussion. I am an avid inventor of, uh, instruments. I mm-hmm. like to say, and I used some well-known water percussion. I love collecting anything water percussiony, which I also I'll bring. My wife seems to be doing it, but she says, if there's a instrument that sounds like this that you don't have, is there something that sounds like the ocean? Or she's like, do you need something like this? You know, we'll we'll talk about instruments. And uh, she's again, she seems like she's responsible for everything. Which I mean, you know, she probably is. And <laughs> she she would be like, you should see if there's an instrument like this, and you should you should try to get it. Or she'll like surprise me for Christmas or my birthday and she'll be like, Oh, I got you this, like a rain disc. And I, I use that on the album or an ocean drum, which I used on the album. But one thing I used, we had these, uh, vase, not vases, they're like little, uh, table, like the centerpieces on tables from our wedding Oh, okay. that I never put away that have just been outside collecting. Uh, one, it was like sometime last year. And there was this, horrific rain downpouring like torrential rain downpour in LA for days mm-hmm. and uh these jars these little vase looking jars collected all of this rainwater in them and she said oh you you better go dump those out because the mosquitoes we don't want you know we have two little children she didn't want them to get me bit by mosquitoes oh, sure, and yeah. Said, okay yeah I said okay I'll, I went out to go throw one out and I, I tapped it on the stone by accident and it made like this nice resonating ring sound. And at the time I, I was speaking with Danae about, you know, trying to do something with like a glass, like ethereal kind of tone. And I said, what could be more ethereal and water-like than rain from the heavens? And I'm like, this is a gift. I'm not going to dump these jars out. I'm going to record them. So <laughs> I went inside. I got, I have this little portable audio recording rig I, I made myself and I put it, I, I set it up. I put the mics, tested out a few, saw which one gave me the best one. Had these nice little shore mics and, uh, you know, everything that I could 
think of to find even some unusual mics. Uh, but I, I started recording them. I you know, ran my fingers around the outside. Mm-hmm. I have a collection of, oh, I think I've got about a hundred different mallets. And I would go and, and test out, see which type of mallet would give me a better sound and little hammers and even little Allen wrenches uh, mm-hmm. that I had. I thought, you know, this sounds great. <sighs> so, um, composing kind of the, that's pretty, that's the, all, the percussive uh, rainbow that you hear is uh is is the magic of that you're very <laughs> you're very inventive and yeah, obviously the so. earliest musicians used whatever they could pound on so you were in good company also we like the fact you use sure microphones because yes, that's what that's we excellent. use i yeah. love sure yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah a little plug for those guys today yeah um, I'll send you a clip of uh, the song Sensor I was talking about. And I use a Shure 55 on there, This okay. uh, that old school Elvis looking mic. And I, I love that. It's, okay, uh, great. It's been and one we'll, of my favorite vocal mics. We'll be, we'll be happy to uh, share that. Yeah. You know, both Angie are sitting here wondering about the hidden messages in Siloquy of Eden. Yes. All my uh, album covers... I like to have these, I don't know, hidden messages in there. Um, so in Soliloquy of Eden, there's a tree, there's a music tree there. My what? By the way, my wife drew both album covers. Oh, so beautiful. really, she's an avid artist with, you know, painting and stuff, but uh, it's, it's her hobby. She's a, you know, she's, she's a doctor, but you know, we all have hobbies and I, sure. I love her. I love her artwork. So the hidden message in Soliloquy of Eden is she drew this music tree and you can see in the tree there's notes and um, those notes are actually recorded in the album. One of the movements is the actual album cover that you can follow along with if you are good at decoding and doing detective work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, nice. The other okay. one is on the phoenix of atlantis yeah you know what well, we're going to ask you about that in a yeah. couple minutes oh, okay. so i don't want to sure, i don't sure. want to get ahead on that okay and then yeah, angie's yeah. got <laughs> a, a good question for you right now well mine, sure. mine is a little bit more on the creative front we know you're very creative nadine what has been your driving force and what would you tell others that want to follow their creative dreams i uh I try driving force well i think I mean, it might sound silly, but you just wake up and do it. I mean, I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm so passionate, I guess, about uh, music and um, composition and playing and kind of the, the nuances also, you know, within what an instrument can do, you know, the extremes of an instrument. Every day I get up and I just do it. I write. Mm-hmm. I try to do write anything. I had a professor once that... He told me, even if you are, you know, you have that little block, that creative block that we like to blame right. uh, for not doing something. We like uh, making excuses. So he said, even if you have that little creative block, just write your name on a piece of paper just to get something on the blank page. Mm-hmm. And that's actually been, for me, it's been the, oh, those are my kids. You can hear them coming. Those are, uh, it's been, you know, sometimes when you do sit down and you don't know where to start, I always will write my name at the top of the paper 
or something and I'll write it and uh, it will kind of just spark something. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. And it just well, keeps that's going. A, that's a good, uh, that's yeah. a good advice really. And there's also, I guess there's, I mean, there's a kind of a, I just feel like doing it, you know, yeah, just perfect. do it. It's and just like, even, even that's even, what it's interesting. Sense. A lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of people that we've interviewed, they basically tell everybody, yeah, just do it, just do it. Stop procrastinating, coming up with other day. I mean, ideas. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you know, I want to great sometimes. Uh, yeah. it's like sometimes it's, I will say sometimes it can be helpful. It's like, it's like plugging a dam. You know, you just are like, you know, squeezing the, you know, you mentioned you have a water hose, a lawn hose, it's running and you bend it a little bit. And you're going to have this creative pressure that builds up. And then as soon as you sit down to actually do it, boom, you're like, oh, shoot, I should have done this like, you know, five days ago. And it just kind of flows out. You end up finishing it in 24 hours. Sure, you you bet. (laughs) You know, because of time constraints here a little bit, I just want you to touch on the Phoenix of Atlantis album. I know there's a bit of a backstory when your wife created that. Yeah, I'll be. Created the artwork for it. Quick as I'll be as quick as I can Mm -hmm. uh, to 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 explain it. Well, as best as I, I mean, as best as I can. So yeah, there's a lot going on, but everything you see on the cover. There are the movements of the whole album. Um, everything from, you know, the center is the Phoenix of Atlantis, which is the sixth movement of this 11 movement work. The seven, the story of the seven deadly sins. There's a movement called the seven deadly sins. And you see every animal is a different color and the colors are all sins, different uh, color and animalistic representations of the sins the movement of the moon, you know, the 29 and a half days right. is what a lunar cycle is. And you see the moon in the top left corner. And then the helix, the DNA helix with the chakra colors coming out of it. And the sea turtle in the center of the churning of the ocean of milk and this galactic kind of spiraling. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's some hidden messages in the numbers and the shapes I'm, I, if you look close, you'll see a constellation. That's the, I want to say the eighth movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to hide things in there. Well, we're going there's to be a, sharing that. Cover. Yeah. There's a lot. So there's people, there's so a people lot. Can look I, at I wrote, it. I wrote a little piece about the album cover, a little, like not a, not a music piece, but an actual like little essay, but I haven't yet released it yet. I will, when I put out some an anniversary edition to help people who have been studying this, you know, there's also the, there's a serpent with some people will look at it and go, there's a serpent with the mm-hmm. head of a cow on it. You know, there's mm. hybrid animals like the horse lion, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's going to be yeah, like interesting to look at it. All, you can stare. It's like one of those 3d pictures. You just stare at it. And the longer you stare, the more, You'll get sucked into it. Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. Well, and every, can't wait everything, to see it. every everything pertains to the music. I also want to quickly, quickly mention that there are literary components to the album that listeners can follow. I've made those available for free for download because I want to share that. You can on my website and you can download the album notes. And there are stories that I've written, authored fiction that go with the music. So you can you can either listen to the music alone 
or you can listen and read along. And then with the second album, Soliloquy of Eden, there is a narrated literary companion that you can watch that I've made an animated music video of, of the entire album. Oh, okay. so, great. We'll be right. sharing all of that with our listeners. Yeah. So they'll be able to see yeah, it definitely. Uh, on the website. Definitely. You know, I try to make things uh, more, uh, you know, more, more engaging than just the, um, you know, the, the av- just listening to the album. I try to make it because, you know, I like, I like show business and they like entertainment. So I like to, Put a little entertainment in the listening sometimes. Okay. <laughs> now it's our time for Angie's favorite question. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mine we, too, actually. Well, it's always interesting to hear everybody's answer. That's the part that's cool. <laughs> so now we're going to ask you the question we ask everyone on the show. And that is if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Oh, oh my. Okay. One person or can I pick two? You can pick anyone and any amount of people. Anyone and any amount. Yes. Okay. It might be a big park bench. Okay. But um, I, would, I would love, and of course I might have to be fluent in German okay. to do it, but Beethoven oh, and yes. also sign language is, um, I think that might be yeah beneficial. So Germanic sign language, if that's a thing. I know the American Sign Language is a thing. I don't know, probably similar, but in German. Well, and, I think he uh, actually used it at times. Yeah, he so did. I think so. so. I think yeah. you were on target there. You really are. And then um, Hunter S. Thompson and uh, David Bowie and uh, Nikola Tesla. Ah. And I think, uh, and Warren Zevon. I you, think, who's one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time. You have an interesting park bench. I'd say I would I would love that. I think I would love to maybe turn the park bench, make it a circular one, mm-hmm. get some sandwiches, have a little poker game, you know, just have, shoot the breeze, some coffees, a round of cocktails, and then send everyone on there. And we would want to be there with our microphones <laughs> yeah, and our recorders. In. Yeah, totally. So we could record that. <laughs> That's pretty fascinating. That that's that's a great answer. What a great answer, though. And you know, I feel like it's like a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure (laughs) situation of who am I going to pick up along the way in this phone booth? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Nadim, I think we've come up to the end, unfortunately, and you're so fascinating to talk to. But I want to thank you for sharing your creative journey. And we're really happy for you, excited for you about your this year's Grammy. Yes, congratulations. Grammy one award. That's, uh, I bet you're very proud of that and you mm-hmm. deserve to be. And I'm sure you deserve to receive it. So all good on that front. And then I know everyone that has had the opportunity to listen to this uh, episode is really going to enjoy what you had to say. You're very creative and it comes across. <laughs> but probably the thing I liked the most is it was very genuine and That's heartfelt. That's what I was going to say, genuine and yeah. very heartfelt. Yeah. So thank you for that. Oh, thank cool. you for having me. It was a it was a pleasure, and and uh, I'd love to come back again. You know, you guys are wonderful, oh, and thank, thank you. you. Well, we would be honored to have you back. Well, again. thank you, Nadim, for sharing your creative journey and your big win at the Grammys again this year. And now comes the time to let everyone know if you'd like to know more about Nadim Maj Dalani. We have links for him under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about him and please connect with him on social media and check out his website. A fascinating, fascinating yes. person to, to learn more about. 
So, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, thank you for having me again. It was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Our pleasure. Our okay. pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. And all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. 